sermon today is taken from the gospel lesson, which was read to you earlier. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So the disciples, these two disciples, which by the way, if you read the gospel of Luke, disciples does not always refer to the twelve. Here it's just referring to followers of Christ. But these two disciples were walking on the road to Emmaus, having gone through some very emotional days. Friday, Jesus was arrested, betrayed by Judas. He was led away to a trial, an illegal one. He was beaten, he was tortured, he was crucified, and he died. This man who they believed to be the Christ, the Messiah, the one that would redeem Israel, to save Israel. And yet, he was dead. In their mind, he was not the one that he thought he was. So you can imagine on that Saturday Eve, that Saturday, locked away in their room, wondering, what is going to happen now? What do we do now? The one that they hinged, hinged, hinged all their hopes to. Right? The one they placed their trust in is dead. He was not who they thought he was. And then Sunday morning, they get the news that the tomb is empty. And so they're thinking that the body has been stolen and it's been taken. Now think about that. When you lose someone you love, when somebody dies, one of the ways you console yourself is by going to the grave where they are buried. Now what if you went there and that body was gone? You'd be distraught. You'd be overcome by grief and despair. And so these two men are walking on the road to Emmaus, not knowing quite what to think. Even though the women had told them that they had seen angels who said that the Lord was alive, they didn't believe it. And all of a sudden, this man comes up to them. And he's talking to them. Now the Gospel of Luke makes it clear that this is Jesus. But the disciples are kept from recognizing him. The Holy Spirit is the one keeping them from recognizing him. Now why that happens or the fullness of that conversation is worthy about an, of an hour sermon. And I'm guessing nobody wants an hour long sermon. So we're not going to go into that conversation. But they're kept from recognizing. And then Jesus proceeds to tell of the scriptures, tell of the Old Testament, how the Old Testament testified to him. See, I don't know question. What is the Old Testament about? Somebody still answer? Jesus. The Old Testament and the New Testament are all about Jesus. 
The Bible is, and it's actually very important to remember, the Bible is not about you. When we say it's about ourselves, it makes us very narcissistic. Rather, the Bible is about Jesus for you. And so, Jesus, in fact, if you go all the way back to Genesis 3.14, it says that, the, that the, the offspring of Eve would crush the serpent's head and he would bruise his heel. That verse is what is known as the Proto Evangelium. It is the first gospel. This is the prophecy that tells you everything about the Old Testament. Or it helps you quite a bit. So when you read about Noah and the flood, the reason why Noah is spared along with his family is because they were in the line to the Messiah. The reason why when Isaac is, is, to, is to be sacrificed by Abraham, the reason why you can know Isaac is going to turn out okay is because he is in the line for the Messiah. The Old Testament is all about preparing for the Christ. God keeping his promises. So this, these scriptures are being unfolded to these men on the road to Emmaus. And then they get to their house, and they are there in the evening with Jesus. And Jesus, right before their eyes, breaks bread. He blesses it and gives thanks. And their eyes were open. And they were reminded of how, after John the Baptist was beheaded, large crowds came to Jesus like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus began to open up the scriptures to them and preach to them. And then when evening came, he broke bread. It was seven loaves, of, the five loaves of bread and two fish. He fed 5,000 people. Again, they called to mind on the night that Jesus was betrayed. He took bread, broke it, and gave it to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. <clears throat> the early church very much understood that Jesus was preparing the Lord's Supper right before their eyes. And it is in this breaking of the bread that their eyes were opened. It is in the reading of the scriptures that their hearts burned. And this set a precedent for the entire church. Raise your hand if you were here for the Easter, the Saturday Easter service, by chance. Oh, not many were here for the Easter, Saturday night. Okay, the Saturday night Easter vigil, when we have, we began with the service of life. We actually would have started it from the fire, but those palm branches were way too dry, and they burned really, really fast. So instead, we had to do old school light, regular light, but a little bit old school light. But anyways, we lit up the candles, we processed in. And this was part of what is one of the most ancient worship practices in the church. See, the church did not always gather at 10.30 in the morning when the sun was up. Rather, they gathered at night when it was dark. 
They're gathering categories. They're gathering in houses. And the reason they did this was because of persecution. They had to gather in secret. So that way their worship services would not be interrupted by soldiers. So what they would do is they gather in pitch darkness. And the pastor would start at the back of the church with a candle, something like that one. Might probably look different than that, but something like that. You have a single candle. And you say, Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And then he'd go forward. He'd stop in the middle. And say, and I can't remember all the words perfectly, but he says another set of words. And then he'd get to these words. Which, by the way, this is actually in our evening prayer, which I hope that, I'm hoping we'll introduce that at some point. It um, doesn't work in the summer because we meet while the sun is still up in Saturdays. But maybe like in the fall would be great. But anyways, you get to the front, he says some words, and then you'll go to the very up right by the altar, and you'll elevate that candle ever so high and say, Joyous light of glory, of the immortal Father. That is the most ancient hymn we have. It dates back to the first century. It's known as the Fos Philo. And the reason they did this was because as that light came in, as they were living in a life of persecution, they were reminded that even though the world is dark, the light of Christ shines, and no darkness overcomes it. And by the way, I plan to do something. I have a, I have a light, light candle service and plan for our youth. So time, which will be really, really cool. But anyways, see, they continue, and then they hear the word, they hear the scriptures. They practice the breaking the bread, the Lord's Supper. Or as it says in Acts chapter 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. The precedent that we have been given for the entire church See, how many of you have ever heard somebody say that I don't need to go to church to worship. I can worship just fine out on the boat or on the golf course or whatever. Anybody ever heard somebody say something similar? They might even say, well, I can worship just fine. I, my best worship is when I do my job and I work. Here's the thing. There's a level of truth to what they said. You actually, today is not the only day you worship. In fact, when you go out the store, you're supposed to still be worshiping. Actually, every moment of your life, your life is supposed to be a living worship to God. Your job, your vocation, that is your worship and service to God. But see, there's the problem. There's a problem. We've missed it. Where our aim is wrong on why we come here on Sunday morning or Saturday night. Yes, we worship, but that is not the primary purpose. In fact, the term that Lutherans, and actually much of the church refers to the service, they call it the divine liturgy or the divine service. Divine, we call it divine service setting one, setting two, setting three, whatever. This could be called divine service setting, contemporary set, whatever. 
It's not the style of the sermons that be the divine service. It's called divine service because it is God, the divine, serving us. We are coming to receive God's gifts, to have his word proclaimed to us, preached to us, to receive his sacrament, the Lord's Supper, to be reminded of our baptism regularly. That is why we're coming. And by the way, the Lord's Supper is not to be done by yourself. Even when I, we go visit a shut-in, we commune with them. So it's not a private service. Because communion, by its word, demands that you are with others. So the whole idea of communion at your computer while watching um, some internet preacher? No, that is not communion. That's actually a violation of the Lord's Supper. We come here to receive God's gifts because we live in a world that is filled with darkness. We have our own sin. We have fears of our, we have financial woes. We worry about our medical bills. We worry about our health. We worry about the health of those we love. We worry about the, the education that our kids are getting. We worry about how our friends and family think of us and the relationships we have. We worry about North Korea, ISIS. There are so many bad things going on in this world. And the devil is caught. We are drowning in the woes of this world. And it's for that reason we need God's word. We need his sacrament to give us strength, to endure this world. That our hearts may burn. That our eyes can be kept open. Because the thing is, the devil is firing many piercing arrows right at your heart, constantly, wanting to kill you, to devour you. And that's why we need God's word, because it is a shield. We need his sacrament, because it gives us strength. This is why when you get confirmed, some of you, that better not be your last communion on your confirmation. It should be your last communion until two weeks later when we serve communion again. So you should be there right away two weeks later. Luther, if you read him, he believes that if it were possible, if it were practical, we should have communion every single day. So, yeah, because that's how much we need it. Now if you're thinking, well, oh, I'm saying that our life is going to go so much better. No. Actually, your life will get worse the more you're in God's Word. Because the devil wants you to turn your eyes off of Jesus and to focus on the world so that way he can devour you. He wants you to knock it off. He wants you to stop and be God's Word. He wants you to stop receiving his supper, the Lord's Supper. Because then he knows you belong to him when you stop. That's why we're in God's word as often as we can. And so we can stand against the assaults of the devil because on the other side of this world is a bliss 
an eternity that is beyond our wildest of dreams. That's why we stay in it. So when Jesus comes on that last day, he will, he will know us. He will welcome us in. We have stayed strong. We have stood the test. And we have proclaimed, and the thing is, we have proclaimed this word. Because you're not the only one in darkness. Everyone is. And we always need to tell our faith to others. And one final thing. I don't know about you, raise your hand if, if you only have bad days on Saturday and Sunday. And Monday through Friday are awesome and nothing bad ever happens. Nobody has ever had a case of the Mondays. One of those two guys, gosh, you're in school, you've had it. You've had it. So I've been in school, I hate Mondays. So, but anyways, that means we need God's word more than just Sunday. That's why if you guys receive got all these, one of these, and all of your bulletins, it's a devotional resource. It's a way to keep in God's word throughout the week, to read it, to study it. And we also have other opportunities. We have Bible study here on Sunday morning. We have Bible study on Wednesdays at Zimmy's, and we have one at 9.30. And I'm starting one at 6 o'clock at Pizza Hut. And I prefer Pizza Ranch, but we don't have a Pizza Ranch. So we're doing Pizza Hut during their prayer. So we have opportunity, plenty, to hear God's word. If you're in high school, we have LAF Sunday morning, every single morning. We have other Bible studies, opportunities to be in God's word. We're, I'm going to be starting up something for young adults in June. There are many things, ways for us to be in God's word, and we need it desperately, we need it badly. Even if you don't always realize it. It's just like, have you ever been sick and not known you're sick? You hear all the time somebody goes to the doctor, they don't realize something's wrong with them. They find out. Even on days you don't realize that you need God's word, you need it. And in fact, the days you don't think you need it, is the days you need it the most. May we be in his word until he returns. May our hearts burn and our eyes be open in his sacrament. In Jesus' name, amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ keep him one true faith for life everlasting. Amen. At this time, we'll take a moment to receive our tithes and offerings. Please use the time also to complete the French register as well. 